Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and this is podcast number 193. And in today's podcast, I sit down with Dr. Richard Severin. If you are on social media at all, then I am sure you are very familiar with him. He is a physical therapist and ABPTS certified cardiovascular and pulmonary specialist. He completed his cardiopalm residency at the William S. Middleton VA Medical Center, University of Wisconsin-Madison, which he then followed up with an orthopedic residency at the University of Illinois at Chicago. He is currently working on a PhD in rehab science at UIC with a focus on cardiovascular physiology. And in addition to doing research, teaching, and clinical practice regarding patients with cardiovascular disease, Dr. Severin has a strong interest in developing clinical practice tools for risk assessments for physical therapists in a variety of practice settings. He's an active member within the APTA and serves on the Social Media Committee and Heart Failure Clinical Practice Guideline Development Team for the Cardiopulmonary Section of the APTA. And he will also be speaking in about a month at CSM all about the importance of taking vital signs, which is exactly what today's podcast is all about. So what we talk about in today's podcast is we get a little bit more about his background and interest in cardiopulm, uh, cardiopulmonary branch of physical therapy, the importance of getting baseline measurements for every single client in every single setting, uh, his response to, I have to see so many patients in my outpatient clinic, I don't have time to take vital signs. It's a good one. Uh, what are the risks about, n- about not taking vital signs? And, and a little bit more about his talk at CSM. So we don't give away the whole farm here. If you're going to CSM and you want to learn more about this, and I think it's going to be a really, really good talk, um, make sure you check them out. Just go to uh, the combined sections meetings website. You can search for his talk by his last name, uh, Severin. So I highly, highly suggest you do that. It's going to be really good. This talk was great. And then be sure to tune in this Thursday because we do a Thursday quickie um, where we just kind of talk a little bit more about this, a little bit more about physical therapy on social media and that kind of stuff. It was a really good talk. So really great week of podcasts coming up here on the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast, which is, by the way, brought to you by audible.com. And Audible, you can, if you want a free book and a free free month from audible.com because you're listening to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, then head over to audibletrial.com slash healthy, wealthy, smart, sign up, get your free book, get your free month, and listen away. I listen all the time. As you probably heard last week, I am still in the midst of reading Dr. Sapolsky's book, uh, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, because it's super long. It's like 14, 15 hours worth of listening. Um, so I'm still listening to that, and we can probably continue listening to that for the next month or so. Um, but Audible's great. I use it every single day. Uh, they have 180,000 different titles to choose from across all different genres. So head over to my affiliate link, which is audibletrial.com slash healthywealthysmart, and get your free goods. Now, moving on to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Community Board. So, are you interested in taking some really great continuing education classes? 
and going to Chicago, which is a really fun city, and hanging out with two lovely ladies, Dr. Sandy Hilton and Dr. Sarah Haig, then you're in luck because Entropy Physiotherapy has some really great classes coming up. You can hang out with Greg Lehman. You can hang out with Susan Clinton. You can hang out with Scott Epsley. You can hang out with Dr. Neil O'Connell. You can hang out with Jerry Durham and Jeff Moore, Diane Jacobs, Anthony the Physio Detective Lowe. Who did I miss? Arturo Lawson. So you can hang, you get to hang out with all these people in the lovely city of Chicago. Just go to entropy, that's E-N-T-R-O-P-Y slash physio.com. And you can get all of their great uh, professional classes. So you just go to Advanced Classes for Professionals and check them out. Okay, without further ado, please enjoy my interview today and this Thursday with Dr. Richard Severin. So I am sitting here with Richard Severin, and he, along with Matt Lee and Kyle Ridgway, will be doing a talk at the Combined Sections meeting, which is now about two months away in Anaheim in February. And the name of his talk, if you're wondering, you want to go, you want to look it up, is The Why, What, and How of Vital Signs and Cardiovascular Risk Stratification for the Outpatient PT. So, Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, Karen. Sure. So, you're doing this talk at CSM. It's Thursday, February 18th, 2016, from 8 to 10 in the Marriott mm -hmm. Grand Ballroom D. Um, just wanted to make sure people knew where to find you. Um, and it's all about vital signs. So, I've been seeing a lot on social media and within different Facebook groups, uh, people talking about taking vital signs. So I think a lot of people think, well, if it's outpatient therapy and they're coming to me, they're obviously fine. So why do I need to take their vital signs? But let's sort of back up a little bit. So where did your interest really come about when it comes to vital signs and physical therapy? That's a really uh, interesting uh, question, and I'll, I'll try to give you the brief answer. That's okay. Um, Go ahead. And I'm, I'm also encouraged that, you know, you mentioned about seeing posts on social media about it because that's kind of been an effort of a few of us, a collected few, to kind of get this out and using social media as our platform. So the fact that someone of your presence is saying that and noticing that is very encouraging. Um, so when I started PT school, I had the plan of, um, you know, I, I went to the University of Miami. Plan was to stay in South Florida opened my own practice in orthopedics and just kind of stay down there and, you know, and live in sunny South Florida and, you know, treat athletes potentially. And, um, you know, I, when I started PT school, I had a very strong exercise physiology background from Penn State. And uh, I didn't think PTs really did anything in, in, this, in that domain. Um, you know, I, my only experience is I've been really with athletes. So I, by chance, um, had one of the greatest uh, cardiopulmonary PTs as my 
therapeutic physiology um, professor, a guy named Dr. Larry Cahalan, a world-renowned therapist and researcher. We basically stole him from Northeastern, um, um, joking aside. But he came down right the semester before um, we had that course. He kind of reinvigorated my interest in the area. And then I learned that PTs work in this population. And then I followed it up with having um, another legend in our field, uh, Dr. Merrill Cohen, who's now recently been um, awarded a fellow of the APTA distinction as my cardiopulmonary professor. So having those two kind of greatly influenced my interest. And then I had some great, um, um, you know, clinical rotations and some trauma one hospitals. And I really got to see, you know, some of these aspects that, um, you know, PTs you know, play a role in. And then, um, you know, the more and more I learned, you know, and we'll talk about this probably later is that, you know, a lot of the risk factors for, you know, things we see commonly, low back pain, osteoarthritis, um, even tendinopathy, which we're learning. And there's a really good article in BJSM about um, hypercholesteremia and tendinopathy. But, and diabetes are identical to heart disease. So, you know, things we see often, um, you know, for, for physical therapy needs in, in quotes, um, you know, are, are very, are linked, the same, same risk factors are linked to heart disease too. So, you know, not screening for them. I think we do ourselves a big disservice. So, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that all makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I went back to school to get my doctorate in physical therapy I graduated last year around this time, and okay, one yes. of the courses, the one of the courses that I really enjoyed was the cardiovascular course. Yeah, and it was a great reminder to me to be more aware of the role that cardiovascular risk factors, like you said, play in in my outpatient population. Yeah. And I remember we had to do a, a paper on, I think, pulmonary issues. Mm. And a lot of the other people in the class worked in a skilled nursing facility. So, you know, they had their, your patients with COPD and mm. like a, a lot of uh, very obvious pulmonary disorders. And I said to the, to the instructor, I, you know something? I feel like I don't really have anyone with any major problems. And she was like, well, all your patients have a heart and a lung, right? Exactly. Oh, <laughs> so that, there you go. Yeah, that's, uh, and that's a quote I give to my students that I, that I say a lot online. Um, yeah, and that, that was coined by Merrill Cohen. It's where I got it. She probably got it from somewhere else, but we'll go with Merrill Cohen. Um, yeah, every patient is a cardiac patient, and every patient – has a heart and at least one lung. Right. You can have one. But, um, yeah, and, and the functioning of those systems, you know, is, is paramount for all movement. If you, if you can't deliver blood flow to a, a muscle or a brain or anything, like you're not moving. So, um, you know, and like I said, a lot of our patients may have risk factors or may have overt disease. So it's, you know, we, we, need, a, we need to at least screen for them. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. And that for me, really opened my eyes up to really looking at the whole system. You know, mm -hmm. Chris Powers and I just had the conversation a couple weeks ago about the, the human movement system, which mm -hmm. is 
all of the systems that help to move the body forward. Mm -hmm. And so as a physical therapist, isn't it great that we have this ability to look at these systems in an all-encompassing way? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And And not just saying, oh, it's just an elbow or it's just a low back, but to say, hey, let's take a look at the whole movement system and be a little more holistic with our thought process. Absolutely. 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 And, you know, and I, and I think, too, and I, I try to stress this to students and the people I talk to is that, you know, exercise is, is there's so many more responses than just like a mechanical stimuli to muscle. I mean, there's a vascular response. There's a metabolic response. There, and there's a neurological. There's an emotional response. Like these things all encompass movement. You're, you're dead on that. There's so many factors that play into it. Um, you know, and even with non like cardiopulmonary diseases like COPD or heart disease, you can see pathologies um, or, not, or pathological changes potentially to the diaphragm in patients with low back pain. You can, you know, there, there, there's so many inter interrelationships between all these different systems, you know, that, you know, and we can have an effect on these things. Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's get into the the vital signs talk. So outside of the hospital setting, and I think we just sort of talked about this a little bit, mm-hmm. but if it, is it really all that important to take vital signs? So if the person looks healthy, they were able to get to you without a problem, why should I waste my time doing this stuff? You know, playing <coughs> devil's advocate here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I've got a, a couple, couple answers to that. I get, I get asked that question a lot. Um, so let me, let me ask you this, or those who ask this. So mm-hmm. a patient comes to you with a blood, you know, just say you, you know his blood pressure is 175 over 115. What are some symptoms that he'll have? Like what, what, what will he tell you? Holy cow. Well, you know what's interesting is what if he doesn't even know that that's his blood pressure? Yeah. But I mean, would, do you, would you expect him to have symptoms at that at that I would high ex- of a pressure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Odds are you're probably not going to have symptoms. Like hypertension is it's fairly asymptomatic, even um, even at critical, you know, stages. You know, over 180, over 110, mm-hmm. um, which is which is why we you know, it's we need to screen for it, and why it's so great that we have. A device which is non-invasive, which takes thirty seconds to you know to, to get a, give us a pretty objective measure, mm-hmm. um, and that's the thing. You know, you, you, there's no way of knowing someone's resting pressure without taking it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that and that's just that's just a fact. Um, and then there's more to that. You know, we want to get more images because people can have what we call mast hypertension, so like the opposite of white coat hypertension. So mast hypertension is when people's blood pressures are normal or low uh, when they go see a provider. Because mm-hmm. there's normal fluctuations throughout the day. Um, and things, of course, change when people move. So, you know, if they say they go to their primary and they always have a normal pressure, but that's their, you know, that's not actually accurate to what they normally are, um, you know, it would be great for another provider to take another snapshot. Because all resting pressure really is it's a snapshot of what mm-hmm. that person's doing in sitting. It can it tells us a lot, um, but it's just one. And like anything, um, like any image, the more you know pixels or the more frames you have, the more accurate the picture. 
or you know, the, the more points you have in a line, the more reflective you know, it is of its true morphology. Um, but anyway, um, so there's that. And then, um, you know, there's, uh, I mean, how, how else to put this? Um, you know, there, there are certain um, like, I, 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 differential diagnoses, um, such like, you know, an aortic aneurysm, mm-hmm. coarction of the aorta, which you can, you can pick up pretty easily, um, you know, from just taking a blood pressure on both sides or, you know, assessing, you know, heart rate or pulses. Um, like, for example, if a patient, you know, if, an, if a dissecting aortic aneurysm, some of the symptoms they report are low back pain and potentially bilateral paresthesias. Now, if a, you know, a 65-year-old, you know, adult comes to you, um, you know, history of smoking, he says he's got back pain, and radiating symptoms, the first thing most PTs would think, you know, spinal stenosis or something like that, mm-hmm. central stenosis. Um, but if, if you got a pulse differential on both sides, the guy's clearing the mechanical exam, you know, you can use that to kind of lead your, yourself down a different clinical decision, you know, and, and maybe, maybe pick something up that's a little insidious. Um, and then, lastly, what um, if someone told you to stop taking red flags for, for cancer, you know, that you think they're, you're, they're crazy, right? Like, why would sure. you not ask questions? And though the questions, you know, for screening for cancer are good, you know, there's, I think there's a group of them, was it like 10% weight loss in six months, family history, mm-hmm. and then like unrelenting pain, mm-hmm. like non-positional pain. Right. I think those have like a 75% sensitivity. And, um, which is good, but I can objectively see hypertension, like, you know, you know, a lot more accurately by just taking a blood pressure, you know, palpating someone's pulse and maybe listening to their heart with a, with a stethoscope. Mm -hmm. So, and those all take, I mean, to diagnose cancer, you need a biopsy and imaging, like, you know, all, all those red flag questionnaires, you know, are just, are just screening questions, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and we would... People would look at you like you had three heads if you said, oh, don't, those aren't necessary. Um, and you're probably more likely to encounter someone with heart disease based on some of the things I mentioned previously about the risk factors than you are with someone with cancer. So it's just why, we, why this is not a standard part of our practice is just odd. <laughs> it really mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And so let's say, you know, you talked about the aortic aneurysm. I have a very good friend of mine, her husband, who is a triathlete, mm-hmm. training for triathlons, super great shape, also a PT, mm-hmm. um, was in the middle of a triath in the middle of training or middle of a triathlon. He did the swim part, got out, and just felt like a little more winded than usual, mm-hmm. and then just felt you know a little sluggish, a little tired. Long story short. Um, he went and got a cardiac workup and had an aortic aneurysm and needed open heart surgery. Wow. So here's a guy who, you know, like we just said, well, if they're coming to me, they're healthy, they're working out. Why do we have to take vitals where there's a great reason? Yeah. So here's a guy who was 45 years old, totally fine, totally healthy. By the looks of him, you would think, you know, uh, why do I have to, he's already training for a triathlon. Why do I need to take, take his vitals? Well, that's a really good example 
of why you should be a little more vigilant, even with people who, quote unquote, are super healthy. Yeah. Well, and especially too in athletes, because, um, you know, though, so it's one thing I also want to preface. Um, the concept behind this is not to scare PTs to think that every, all of our patients are going to die if we right. have them, you know, do, you know, Stairmaster or leg press for 10 minutes. You know, mm-hmm. you know it, that, that's not the intention. But, you know, the, the intention is that, yeah, like, I mean, there is the risk for sudden cardiac death is, is higher in those who aren't active and have risk factors. But even those patients, you know, their risk goes down the more frequently they exercise, even at low durations. Um, but to have a baseline measure is important, not only to pick up things that, you know, may have been missed by a PCP, um, to, um, you know, potentially pick up something acutely that, that may be wrong. And three, um, like you, you know, like, like, like I said, you could have healthy subjects that have maybe pathological changes or, or you know, like, um, mm-hmm. like an athlete, like young athletes, you know, you know, we're concerned about, you know, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and runners potentially developing AFib, which is a, a risk factor potentially as well in older athletes. So, you know, you could pick those up pretty quickly by just palpating a pulse mm-hmm. or, or listen, and listening to the heart. Um, and then the last one is dosing exercise. So um, what I would really love to see is PTs do like a brief, short duration bout of, ex- of exercise and then monitor their response you know, to that. You know, like it, just, just for example, you know, you wouldn't put somebody on a resistance training program by just giving them an arbitrary weight to start at. You wouldn't do that. You would, you would test them and see, all right, this is what their 10 rep maximum is. Mm -hmm. And let's base it off of that or Mm -hmm. one rep max. Um, you're, you're assessing the system and then dosing based off their responses. Mm -hmm. Um, that mass hypertension I had mentioned, you know, you you can unmask it pretty effectively by giving someone even a low exercise. We're talking like three, to five mats, which is like going up and down a flight of stairs, mm-hmm. which is usually sometimes incorporated into a PT exam already. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could, you know, take their resting pressure, um, take their post pressure after doing that and then see what their trends are. Because like I said, resting pressure is great. It's only a snapshot. If we have movement, which is really what our profession is, um, and assess the response to movement, you know, that it would give us a better um, reflection of how they function overall as far as their cardiovascular system. Um, and then again, like it's something you may already be doing in your exam. So, mm-hmm. and then you can dose, you know, exercise kind of based off of that appropriately. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it, it will only obviously benefit the patient because then you're putting them on a more evidence-based exercise program Yeah. versus yeah. just saying, Oh, just hop on the bike. Yeah, exactly. You could say exactly. hop on the bike for this amount of time with this amount of resistance because we want to get your cardiovascular system to the X point XYZ. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, think about those patients who maybe you're seeing in an outpatient clinic for physical therapy, but years ago maybe they had open heart surgery, maybe they had a stent put in, maybe they have a pacemaker. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. so it's important to know these parameters 
obviously, like you said, to set up a baseline and then to dose your exercise programs uh, accordingly. Yeah. And, and the thing that gets me to Karen is that we are the only profession that like just doesn't do this on every, every patient. I mean, think of, you know, your doctor's office, like, you know, that's just something that you just get done. Yeah. And you have people say, well, I mean, that's your, your doctor, your physician, you know, that's what their job is to do to oversee your over, you know, your, your, your system, the health of your, of your systemic systems, you know, your, you know, you know, your cardiovascular metabolic, you know, all those things. Um, but they have you sit and rest. They don't have you go and move and exercise, mm-hmm. right? And we're, you know, that's what we're doing. You know, we're, you know, that's part of our, of our, our treatment. And, um, you know, and, and we don't even, we don't even take a resting number. And that's just, it's just odd to me that they're not even getting the patients moving and they're taking it. And then we're having them sometimes do 10 net exercise and mm-hmm. not even considering it. And, and, um, and let's look at it this way. So now with direct access to some extent in every state, obviously some are just like you eval and, and they, they, you send them to wherever. But for a lot of states, for 18 states, there's direct access unrestricted. Mm-hmm. So now the physic and this is, I believe, what we're fighting for is to have unrestricted direct access in all states so that we become the entry point into the medical system. Oh, yeah. So if we're the entry point into the medical system, just like you said, you go to see your doctor. You, I mean, I had to go to like CityMD, which is like a ready care place a yeah. couple of weeks ago. Um, and the first thing they do is take your blood pressure and your heart rate. And how about yep. this? How about a blood pressure that's 80 over 40? Yeah, so, so too that well was can me. be pretty bad. <laughs> Were you dizzy? I was sick. I had the flu. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, 80 over 40. How about that one? The girl looked at me. She was like, um, are you okay? I'm going to take it again because you're kind of barely alive. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's a little, that's a little, uh, <laughs> what? That's a little um, but anyway, you know, given the fact that as physical therapists, as a profession, we're trying to be, and, and in a lot of States, we are the entry point to the medical system. So if you just think about it in those terms, if you're the entry point to the medical system, like you said, having this snapshot, at least take it when you first see the person. Yeah, bare abs- minimum. Yeah, that's, and that's um, a great that's a great point. Um, you know, like it, it, you're you're dead on about that. You know, we 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 that's something we've been fighting for for I guess decades. You know, this this the well, be a direct access provider and yeah, the first direct access state was Nebraska in 1958. So oh wow, or 1959, something. Gil like Huskers, that. <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, you know it's. It's that's that's an, that's an excellent point, um, and you know, let's. I mean, heart disease is what. I mean, cancer, of course, um, you know, is a close second, but heart disease is our has been our top killer for you know for many years, and mm-hmm. it's it likely will stay the case, um, and especially in populations over forty five, which are make up the majority of our patient caseload. Sure. So this is our top killer. Um, you know, directly. And then there's kidney disease and pulmonary disease and like stroke, Mm -hmm. which make round out the top five. So those are all related disorders. Um, Diabetes is rampant throughout this country. And so is obesity, which are high risk factors and and smoking as well. So, you know, it comes, you know, the the old phrase, if you want the job, you got to wear the pants. Like if you want to 
be a direct access provider, you got to do things that direct access providers do and screen for the diseases that kill us the most, and that's heart disease. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And just think so you get someone that comes to you direct access, you pick something up, whether it be in their heart rate or their blood pressure at rest or, or after movement, and then you say to this patient, hey, you know something? I saw something here. I'd really love you to, to go to the doctor to have them check it out. You refer to a doctor that you trust, and all of a sudden, that doctor kind of knows who you are, and then you have a nice referral source. And Absolutely. how thankful is that patient that you picked something up that maybe other people didn't? And so then that patient says, I have the best PT. They picked X, Y, and Z up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, we'll talk about this at our, at our talk. Um, you know, I've picked up a couple, a couple things in, in, at, when I was in residency at the VA. Um, not as many in, in UIC, um, the way I take it on every patient. But Matt Lee um, down in Kentucky, Kentucky Orthopedic Rehab Team. They're called CORT. Okay. They've been implementing vitals assessment on every patient, um, and he's got some great stories, and we'll talk about this at our talk, um, on like the, exactly what you mentioned, the professional relationships that you build with physicians, because they realize, like, hey, this guy's taking things seriously. He's, he's looking at the whole body, um, you know, and I, I feel comfortable referring patients to him. And, um, and it's great for the patients, too, because you, you may pick up something. And, you know, we want to talk, I think our new motto is what, like enhancing the human experience or something like that along those lines, uh -huh. mm -hmm. you know, you know, so it, and that in my interpretation is, is overall health and, you know, medicine is a team based approach. So, you know, people often ask me, well, is that really our job to be doing that? I'm like, yeah, like you're part of the team. If you pick something up that you warrants, you know, a further referral, you know, you, you would do that. You know, you would do that if it was a fracture you suspected. It's the of same course. thing for, for heart disease. So, Of yeah. course, yeah. And the, the statement, transforming society by optimizing movement to improve the human experience. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so this would be considered part of the human experience and optimizing movement. I mean, again, it all falls down into that human movement systems. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> okay. So we've sort of talked about, ah, here's a question. So as an outpatient PT, so again, we're going to probably, I'm, I'm just sort of asking you questions that maybe people who are like, oh, do I have to take vital signs yeah. are going to ask. So as an outpatient PT, I only have about 15 or 20 minutes with each patient. Or maybe you're seeing four patients an hour, or maybe you only have five or 10 minutes with the patient. Um, so taking vital signs just takes too much time out of my session. How do you respond to that? Um, so there's a couple ways to, to respond to that. So um, what we propose in, in our model, in our talk, is um, at least on the evaluation. Ideally, we would take you know, the, the trend at the eval, so response, exercise, and arresting, and then... Um, and potentially taking it on every visit. But, and this is what I do. If someone clears out on the eval, they don't really have risk factors um, or any symptoms during anything that we're doing. Um, I, don't, I don't check, you know, during, during visits. I don't, you know, I don't, I feel if someone's cleared and I've done my due diligence, you know, they're probably okay. If someone has 
risk factors or disease, I check pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have to do it on every visit, um, especially, like I said, if someone clears out. Um, and, you know, during the exam, you know, even if you have only 30 minutes, it for your evals, which some clinics do, like some, pe- some people are pretty restricted on their time, it takes like less than two minutes. And that's two minutes if you're like fumbling with a cuff and stethoscope. I mean, I take pressures um, in like 30 seconds. Like it doesn't yeah. take that long. And um, it's just so simple to do. I mean, I've been doing it since I was in like middle school. I mean, it's a basic skill. I teach PTs this. So I know we know how to do this. Um, and then I teach PT students too. So it's super easy. And say you're, you're still crunched for time. You still can't fit it in. Like, all right, I can't give up those two minutes. You can have a tech or a PT aide take them. It's, it's, a, it's a non-skilled technique. And then interpret it. Because really, like, what the... Like why, like the most important thing is the interpretation, you know, like, you know, and that's what your license is for. So if you're really pressed for time, you can have someone else take it um, and you just read it. And if something's odd, then maybe you can take it again or use an electronic cuff in the waiting room or, or something. There's, there's, well, and we'll talk about this in the talk. Matt has a couple of different models down in court in, in Kentucky, but there's, there's a million different ways to go about this to, to fit, you know, a variety of different clinical settings. Um, and, and kind of staffing. And then, um, you know, because like, like I said, blood pressures are so easy to do. I mean, I, I teach patients and their spouses how to take blood pressures on their, on, you know, on each other. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 a tech could definitely perform this and, you know, and the PT could interpret it. So. And yeah. what is your opinion on those automatic cuffs versus using the BP cuff and a stethoscope? So the stethoscope is the, is the gold standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, their electronic cuffs are great. If again, if you're pressed for time, if you got to see a ton of patients, um, you know, I've used them. I've used both. I, I, in, in clinic, I use my manual cuff, um, because you can't take an exercising blood pressure with an electronic cuff. Like you, you, it, it, for many reasons, they don't work. Um, any kind of movement artifact throws off the readings. Mm. So to, you know, the increased interrelator, interrelator reliability, or intrarelator, intrarelator reliability, you gotta, it's better to use the same tool that you use at resting and during exercise. Mm-hmm. So that's why I use the, the manual cuff. And what about, because a lot of patients, I know a lot of my patients have, and, and my parents too, have the cuff at home. Mm. Like the automatic cuff, you know, they just sort of slip their yeah. arm in. So yeah. do you find that for home use, let's say you want a patient to do BP at home, is that sufficient? Or or is it better to, or if they, I mean, if they live at home alone, they kind yeah. of don't have a choice, right? Yeah, I mean, you got to match the needs to what mm-hmm. the patient can like, or the tool to what the patient can do. I mean... Mm-hmm. Right. If someone's living alone, or if they're older and have you know have difficulty doing stuff or impaired hearing, yeah, then probably an automated cuff would be better. And though you know there may be a couple ticks, you know, you know left or you know, up or down, either way between mm-hmm. the two measures, the trends will be the same. So someone, and that's what you're really concerned about over time. You know, is their blood pressure trending up 
or is it trending down? And usually someone's given a monitor. It's, you know, if they have you know, maybe heart failure, they want to see you know, their ventricular performance over time, or um, they're titrating a medication and want to see the, a nice downtrend to a normal, a normal level. So yeah, for, for a home-based um, blood pressure like measure, like an automated cuff's fine. But you know, and in the clinic, I said you can use both. I tend to use the the manual one just because it's really easy for me, and you know, and I do take exercising blood pressures, and I mm-hmm. I need the manual cuff for that, so sure, might as well just sure. use one. Yeah. Got it, got it. Okay, so that's a good tip for PTs in the clinic. Um, now you have so you're taking all these vital signs, right? You're taking mm-hmm. vital signs of patients when they come in, maybe after exercise. You have all this data. Now what? It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> that's, always, that's always the next logical question. Yeah. Um, so um, what we're trying to develop um, as a group of us, we're trying to develop, um, and we'll, we'll talk about this at CSM actually, is you know a lot of the recommendations I use for referring out or continuing with therapy or modifying treatment are based on the AHA guidelines and the ACSM guidelines. And those are two of the most well-respected uh, medical organizations in the world. Can you repeat um, those again? So the American Heart Association, the AHA, and the ACSM guidelines. Um, they, you know, the AHA has produced publications and scientific statements on um, you know, exercise testing recommendations, resistance training, and exercise aerobic training. And same at the ACSM has also provided some screening tools as well, um, but there isn't really anything per se from the APTA um, stating like this is when a patient's appropriate for therapy. You know, we, we refer back to the AHA, which is great. It's a great tool. Um, you know, one of my our, one of our program directors here is one of the sign was one of the authors for it. It's a great resource. I teach it to my students, um, but I would like the the APTA to kind of take ownership of it and like make something specific for physical therapy and specific for interventions in physical therapy, manual therapy, resistance training, um, you know, the physical therapy exam, like what is a patient appropriate for our services, um, especially as we move towards a direct access provider. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we ha- it's in the guide to, to the PT practice there is recommendations to take vitals, but there's no cutoff scores for, for that. You know, again, then we're referring to the AHA or ACSM guidelines. And there was a really great paper published in 2005 by uh, Scherer. Um, she's a cardiopulm PT. And I think Fritz was in there, Judy Fritz. And then mm-hmm. who else was on there? And I think Tim Flynn. It was a good, it was a good, it was a great paper. Um, and they, developed a sort of an ad- ad- adapted model, um, again, using the ACSM recommendations. So, but either way, I think we need to develop something specific for us to, to make it easier for PTs to make a decision. All right, this guy's got, you know, blood pressure 165 over 95. Like, what do I do here? You know, so. Yeah, no, that yeah. makes so, so that's a, a great answer to what do we do with all this data now that we have it. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So what else can people look forward to in your talk at CSM, which is Thursday morning from 8 to 10? Yeah. And you're uh, with Mike, 
Mike Lee and Kyle Ridgway. Uh, nope. Matt Lee. Oh, Matt sorry, Lee. Matt Lee. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry, Matt Lee and Kyle Ridgway. I'm, I don't know Matt, but Kyle and I presented last year at CSM. Yeah, Kyle's great. So hopefully you can expect uh, some good banter and some witty humor because um, the, the three of us are a pretty good group, pretty funny group of funny guys, but uh, especially Kyle and Matt. Um, but yeah, you're going you're gonna to get a good bit of um, information on some of the stuff I talked about today, mm-hmm. the epidemiology on, on what we see, and um, we'll provide some good resources on, on recommendations, again, based on AHA and the ACSM guidelines, and then models on how to implement this um, into your own practice. Because I said, you know, I do this in an outpatient setting. Um, you know, Matt Lee and their whole system down, in, and they're a huge like therapy provider in, in Kentucky. They mm-hmm. all do it every every single patient at every eval um, in every clinic. So we'll, you'll get some resources on that, and then hopefully we'll you know we're going to open up. I think probably about thirty minutes at the end to answer questions about it because you know I. I get more questions um, since I've been starting to talk about this from people across the world sometimes on, you know, hey, what, what are, you know, what would you do in this situation? Or, you know, I, I, I have some questions about, you know, this medication or this side of the population. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm more than always willing to help, you know, facilitate stuff and, and, and answer things as best I can. So, yeah, it's, I, I think it's going to be a great talk. It's going to be informative. Um, and it's, it's just yeah, I, I think it's a step in the right direction for our profession. Great, so. great. No, it sounds like it's going to be a great talk, and um, hopefully, I can I can get to that on Thursday morning, as I will I will also be uh, at CSM. Um, so, aside from this talk, uh, we have a couple of minutes left. So, what else do you have going on for 2016? Oh man, a lot. <laughs> so. Um, as you know, and, and many who may be tuning in know, I teach for uh, Medical Minds and Motions. So um, we're a continuing education company that, um, you know, I think we're just nationally for now. I don't think we have operations in Canada or Mexico yet. Um, but, uh, you know, I teach a cardiovascular risk assessment course for them, So, which is um, an eight-hour course. We go through everything, and then I teach you, you know, how to do, you know, you know, a bunch of different tests and measures, including exercising blood pressures, abdominal exams, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's a great course. It's a great company. Um, you can find us on the web on the on the internet at medicalmindsinmotion.com. It's uh, founded by Rick Daigle. Um, he's a great guy. Great, great guy to work with. Um, I'm also currently enrolled in my PhD um, at UIC in rehab science. I uh, got a great mentor in Shane, Shane Phillips, awesome guy, um, very well-respected researcher in PT, um, you know, and working with Ross Serena, who's our um, program director, um, who's which most people I don't think you know know these two guys, which I think is a bit of a, a bit crazy because you know Ross Serena um, is I think like published like four hundred times. Wow. Yeah, awesome. guys, guys, awesome. Uh, and and Shane's up there too, and these these guys are respected across disciplines. You know, they're both fellows of the AHA, which, as a PT, having that distinction is incredible. Um, and I, I think we should do more to kind of highlight that. You know, these these, these big time researchers that we have, and then um, 
you know, and then teaching. I'm teaching it again the cardio poem course at UIC. Um, I had a great experience, you know, doing it last year. Great students, great group of kids. Um, it's amazing how the standards for PT, you know, PT programs have increased, you know, year to year. I mean, there's these kids are are bright. That's <laughs> really good. Smart. So um, I think the profession's in good hands. And then um, hopefully getting some stuff published. So. <laughs> Um, you know, if any, any researcher, it's always important to get your, your scholarly activity going up and then, sure. um, hopefully given more podcasts. So yeah. great. <laughs> and, and where can people, if they have questions, um, for you, where can they find you? So, um, you can find me at my, I've been very good to keep everything the same exact, um, I guess name, uh, ptreviewer.com, which is my blog and, um, and website. I've got resources on there for, um, you know, murmur, all kinds of cardiovascular assessment, you know, tools and stuff. I even have a murmur, like, recording so you can, like, practice that mm. and ECGs. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, my Twitter handle is at PT Reviewer. And uh, we have a Facebook page as well. Um, and I also work for uh, Next Gen PT, Joe Brent's company. Um, we're working on developing a bunch of really cool stuff for for PTs um, and PT students, and then um, some great content, and then uh, anything else on the horizon, let me think. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's heart, a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then the heart failure CPG. So I'm in the cardiopulmonary section. Um, I was asked to be an article reviewer for our clinical practice guideline for heart failure. So that's an awesome, awesome, awesome um, resource, and hopefully make more of them. So Great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have no shortage of stuff to do in 2016. So yeah, I thank you for taking the time out to come on here and talk about your talk at CSM, which, again, if anyone is going to CSM, you can just look. If you go to the programming, you can just look for your name, Richard Severin. And it is Thursday morning from 8 to 10 at Marriott Hotel Ballroom D. Yeah, I which may which may be subject to change depending oh, on how big right? this because I mean this could be a huge huge turnout too. I'm hoping it is. So I hope so. Yeah, yeah. I hope so for 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 you guys. That'll be great. Well, yeah, absolutely. Again, thank you so much, and everyone, if you're going to CSM, go and hear Richard speak with uh, Matt yeah. and Kyle, and yeah. I'm sure it'll be great. It'll be a lot of fun. So, Rich, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, and All happy right. new year to you, too. Oh, thank you. Happy new year. And everyone, thank you so much for tuning in today, and have a great couple of days, and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.